his hospitality, his invitation, his welcome. Also, Sister Elsie Thomas for contacting me and inviting me to come. And anyone else that's responsible for me being here today, I'm so glad to be with you here at the Downers Grove Seventh-day Adventist Church. Eunice and I were just reminiscing on our way here. Um, the last and only time that we were actually here at this church is when our friend, Pastor Chris Holland, was actually leaving. You were having your farewell for him, and we came right at the end and joined you all in the basement. Um, Pastor Chris and I were both in the in-ministry program at Andrews, so we went off to various locations to study, and we built a bond from that, but I'm so glad, we're so glad for this opportunity to return. I want to bring you greetings this morning also from the High Park Seventh-day Adventist Church where we pastor, your sister congregation. Um, I want to get into the word today, so I'm going to invite you if you bow your heads with me as we prepare to pray. Father, we thank you so much for the unity that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask today that you'd come by your Holy Spirit and reveal to us the fullness of that unity and prepare our hearts to receive the gospel anew and to walk in it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I read about a man who lived in the middle of the second century during the reign of Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Christianity was illegal, so believers faced the threat of imprisonment, torture, and death. Persecution was particularly prevalent in the southern part of Europe where this young man was from. His name was Sanctus. He was a church deacon in Vienna. Arrested and brought to trial, he was repeatedly told to renounce his faith, but he was undeterred. His answer to every question was, I am a Christian. When he was asked his name, his nation, his city, whether he was bond or free, he would answer in the Roman tongue, I am a Christian. When it became clear that he would not relent, he was condemned to torture in the public amphitheater. He was made to run the gauntlet, subjected to wild animals, fastened to a chair of burning iron. His accusers tried to break him. They were convinced that his resistance would crack under pressure. But even then, they heard no other words than what he had uttered from the beginning. His dying words told of an undying commitment. His rallying cry remained constant throughout the entire trial. I am a Christian. For Sanctus, his entire identity, his name, his citizenship, his social status, was found in Jesus Christ. Sanctus was not alone. This was the sentiment of most Christians at this time. One historian writes, they would have replied to all questionings about them with the short but comprehensive answer, I am a Christian. Again and again, they caused no little perplexity to their judges by the pertinacity with which they adhered to this brief profession of faith. The question was repeated, who are you? And they replied, I have already said that I am a Christian. 
And he who says that has thereby named his country, his family, his profession, and all else besides. Beloved, I want to ask you today, who are you? How would you answer that question? Would you be satisfied with this brief response? I am a Christian. Or would you have a burden to qualify it, add to it, or clarify some further notable characteristic about yourself? Today we want to discover what scripture has to say about our true identity in the message entitled, Our In Christ Identity. Today, I want to begin with our scripture reading in Colossians chapter 3, and first we want to read verses 9 through 11, and it says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But what, everybody? Christ is all and is, what, everybody? In all. In these verses, we find the Apostle Paul describing to the Colossian believers the reality of their new life in Christ. He uses the imagery of dressing and undressing to create a compelling picture in their minds. They have taken off the old self and have put on the new self. Today we want to focus on a particular aspect of the new self. Paul says that in the new self there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. What does the apostle mean? In this context, the categories Greek and Jew summarize all people. Greek culture was the prevailing culture of this time. They prided themselves on how civilized, cultured, and sophisticated they were. They were the first to set out as a nation to spread their culture and its ideals throughout the entire world. They believed that it was their noble responsibility to bless the nations of the world with a knowledge of how to become like them. In contrast to Greeks were the Jews, who shared a similar pride for being the chosen people of God, who held the unique revelation of the oracles of God. Greeks divided the world into two categories, Greeks and barbarians. Jews also divided the worlds into two categories, Jews and Gentiles, or circumcised and uncircumcised. What Paul represents here is not just different classes of people, but the superiority in which they viewed themselves in comparison to other groups, and the prejudice that they felt toward others who were not like them. This list conveys the ways 
that different cultures and people groups naturally stand opposed to one another and thus remain divided. Greeks think that they are better than Jews. Jews think that they are better than Gentiles. The circumcised think that they are better than the uncircumcised. And the uncircumcised think that the circumcised are far too extreme. Barbarians were viewed as uncultured, unrefined, uncivilized, and the Scythian is looked down upon even by the barbarian. The slave is relegated to the bottom of the social ladder while the free exploit their services. This list is meant to depict everything in the old self that would pose a threat to the unity that believers possess in Christ. Anything that would make a believer regard a fellow believer as other. Ethnicity, education, culture, and social status. This is a message that even believers today have a difficult time embracing. The truth is, we tend to identify with our natural identity markers more than we do with our new identity in Christ. This is perhaps most evident in the racial and ethnic division that still exists among Christians today, Seventh-day Adventist Christians included. I heard of a Christian young man who was in the practice of polling people at Sabbath lunch. He would wait till right after the meal when everybody was seated in their different groups. And he happened to be an African-American young man. What he would do is he would walk over to the group of mothers who were gathered somewhere in the dining room or kitchen, and he would set a question before them. He said, now, if your son, hypothetically, was going to get married, and he had a choice to marry either a black unbeliever or a white believer, which one would you prefer for him to marry? Of course, you can sense the tension build in the room. At first, the mothers hem and haw. They try to be politically correct. When finally, one mother invariably will blurt out, I'm sorry, but I would want him to, my son to marry the black girl. She can get converted later. And in that statement, our likely greatest sense of self is exposed. Our tendency is to blend our spiritual identity with our natural identity. In some cases, we have actually been taught that this is a virtue. We fail to see that this syncretism is not authentic Christianity at all. Paul insists that all of these natural distinctions belong to the old man. We get a better understanding of how contrary social, ethnic, and class distinctions are to Christ when we consider this text in its context, looking now at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the beginning of the chapter. It says, 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the governing theme of this entire section of the letter to the Colossians. Our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Because we are risen with Christ, life now only has one focus. The things above with Christ. So we no longer focus on earthly things. Notice how extreme our union with Christ is. We are dead. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. When he appears, then we will appear. The natural self and the natural life is swallowed up by the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. The new heavenly reality then has a radical effect on how we live our lives now in the earth. Now, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 8, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must get rid, you must rid yourselves, rather, of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Paul now uses two sets of what's called vice lists in order to describe the attitudes and behaviors that belong to the old man and should have no place in the life of the believer. They come in two sets of five. Set one is sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which he says is idolatry. In light of being united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, believers are called to put these things to death. But this is just the first list of things that are earthly. Set two is anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from one's lips. Believers must get, ri get rid of all of these things or put them away. These things are earthly as well. The first list focuses on more personal sins of sexual and material lust. But the second list focuses on more interpersonal sins involving ne negative attitudes and negative verbal expressions. Then expanding on this list of interpersonal and relational vices, the apostle gives another command. Do not lie to one another. This command was first given to the children of Israel in Leviticus 19, verse 11. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. This command not to deceive one another 
was given based on the fact that they belonged to the same community who shared the common identity of being called out as the people of God to serve him who was holy. The expectation is that this shared identity should foster love and care between them. Paul repeats this command in Ephesians 4, verse 25. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Notice the reason. Because you are all members of what, everybody? One body. This is the same idea that he has in mind in Colossians. Do not lie to one another because you are all God's elect people. This chosen community used to consist of natural children of Abraham only, only Hebrews. But now in Christ, it is expanded to include everyone. People of every ethnicity, culture, and walk of life are now in Christ. Anything that denies this is earthly, fallen, fleshly, and belongs to the old man. Do you see, beloved? As far as Paul is concerned, continuing to be defined by our ethnic and social distinctions and other aspects of our natural identity, rather than by Christ alone, is just as earthly, just as fleshly as fornication and idolatry. Paul explains, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. Notice these words, image of the creator. Where do those words come from? The reference is to the image of God that first appears in the creation week long before there were any cultural differences long before there were any ethnic distinctions, long before there, were any, there was any social prejudice or bigotry, God said, let us make man in our own image. This is the identity that we were designed to have and meant to keep. This is what was to define us, made in the image of God. When the human family fell into sin, we were first distinguished in this way. Those who sought after God and those who did not seek after God, also called the sons and daughters of God or the sons and daughters of man. But as history progressed, especially beyond the Tower of Babel, we learned to define ourselves based on earthly distinctions that we invented based on tribe, country, ethnicity, social class, and the list goes on and on, rather than the identity that God gave us, made in the image of God. We use these distinctions in order to instill worth, value, rank, and station. 
we use these distinctions to define the superior and the inferior, the worthy and the unworthy. Even among our own ethnic groups, we still continue to distinguish between things like education or so social status. So that an African American may think, I'm a cut above a person of African descent who is from the Caribbean or from Africa. And a black person from the Caribbean or from Africa may consider himself or herself to be better than a black person from America. Likewise, an Anglo-American may consider himself or herself to be better than other Anglo-Americans based on class, wealth, or family pedigree. It's so bad that we have even drawn lines of demarcation when it comes to our religious perspectives so that the conservatives think that they're better than the liberals and the liberals consider themselves to be better than the conservatives and none of it has anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and the identity that he has called us to have in him. When we come to Christ in him we have taken off the old man and have put on the new man. And now that we have put on the new man, our minds are in the process of being renewed into the image of the creator again. Once again, we're made in the image of God. The image of God then is an expression of who we are how we think, and how we relate to one another, and not an expression of what we look like or where we're from. This is the new focus of the Christian life. This is where our confidence and self of, sense of identity lies. This is what it means for us to set our minds on things above. Paul goes on to describe the new community of faith. The in Christ community where Christ is in all and Christ is all. Meaning who Christ is swallows up every detail of who we are. Meaning that Christ is in all of us regardless of our education, regardless of our social status, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our citizenship, regardless of our accent or our color. We share Christ in common. We share his spirit in common and nothing else matters. This now is how the new community is defined. Look, let's look at what he says in Colossians 12, 3 now at the end, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put 
on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is how you know who we are. They shall know that you are Christians, how everybody? By your love. Not just for the person who looks like me and talks like me and thinks like me and likes what I like, but love for the person who is the exact opposite of me in terms of dress and social standing and perspective and ethnicity. Love for that person, the person who society says should be my enemy. Our name is Christian. Do you know how we got that name? Luke says that Christians, he says in Acts, that Christians first got their name in Syrian Antioch. Syrian Antioch was a cosmopolitan metropolis. It was a melting pot with people from all over the Greco-Roman world. And the Christians were gathered together, and the representation among them was from every place on the globe and every part of the social status system. And yet there was no distinction among them according to those natural barriers. So when people looked on, they could not define them from where they were from or any particular culture or group. And so all they could come up with to describe who they were was little Christ, Christians. That's how we got our name. I want to end with a list of things that I would suggest that we meditate and take with us from here in terms of how to respond to this message. I have it here on a list. It says, first, embrace your identity in Christ as your primary, your what, everybody? Your primary identity. In other words, let Christ define you. Not that you're no longer male or female, black or white, Mexican or American, or African, but you acknowledge that in Christ you have put off the old self so that you no longer place any confidence or gain any sense of pride from these things. They happen to be true about you, but they don't define you. Now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now Christ is your life, and this is your focus. You know the funny thing about focus? You can only focus on one thing at a time. I want you to do a quick exercise with me. I want you to take one finger and put it right out in front of you and look at it. Focus on that finger. And then I want you to take another finger and put it off to the side of you. And what I want you to do is I want you to focus on both fingers 
at the same time. <laughs> can you do it? No. We can only focus on one thing at a time. So while I'm focusing on this finger, does it mean that this finger is no longer there? It's still there. As a matter of fact, I can see it through my peripheral vision, right? But it's not my focus. That is the truth about our new identity with Christ. It's not that these things are no longer there or true about us, but it's no longer our focus. It's not that we don't see it through our peripheral vision. It's just that we don't fix our eyes on that anymore because now our eyes are fixed solely on Jesus. Next step. Do not make decisions based on your natural identity, but rather based on your spiritual identity in Christ. Do you know many times when we were making life decisions, we make life decisions based on the culture that we're from. Right? The way our culture values things, views things, say they must be done. And so that's our go-to. Even decisions that may not even be decisions of sin or not sin. It's just our natural way of flowing. Well, now, Christ should be the core of where we see ourselves, hidden with Christ and God. So when we have decisions to make, our decisions are based on who we are in Christ, not who we are as Americans or anywhere else that we may be from, but who we are in Christ. The next one, do not value, evaluate, or treat people based on their natural identity, but rather based on what Christ has done for them and wants to do for them. So now you're looking at the world no longer the way everyone else in our society is looking at the world and looking at people, but now we're looking at the people based on Christ died for you, Christ longs to be with you, Christ loves you, you belong to Christ. Right? That's how I see you, as someone who belongs to Christ. All right? Next slide. This is our last slide. Do not react. Do not what, everybody? <laughs> react to the views, treatment, and actions of others who seek to identify you by your natural identity. But be, what, everybody? Proactive based on who you are in Christ to show love. In other words, the world is still going to see you according to these categories. They don't care how you see yourself or, or, or how I see myself. But we're no longer going to react to their view of things. Now we're going to be proactive. We know something that they don't know. We know someone who they don't know. So we're going to be proactive to love them because we belong to Jesus, and we want what's best for them in Christ. Next, do not, here's a big one, everybody. <laughs> do not transmit culture to your children as their primary identity. That's hard. We're so proud of who we are and where we're from and how we think and how we do things that that's what we want to pass on to our children. 
That's what we want to instill in them so that they can have a strong sense of identity. Well, Paul will say, this belongs to the flesh. We don't want to give our children a fleshly identity. We want to give them a spiritual identity. Is it true that these things are true about them? Yes. Is it true that this is your history? Yes. But that's not our focus. Our focus is who they are in Christ. So in, in other words, instill value in your children based on their having been made in the image of God and their ability to reclaim this image in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're instilling in our children. We want our children to be able to say, I am in Christ. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Those are some strong children. That is a very strong sense of identity. If you don't think it's true, look at how Jesus' identity in his father enabled him to endure the cross, to love when he was being hated, to not retaliate, to have the strength to not fight back, to lay down his life in love and service for the good of mankind. That was based on his identity in his father. That's what Christ wants to pass on to us and have us pass on to our children. Finally, wherever, whenever necessary, forgive. Because of the history of race relations in our world, and particularly in this country, there is a lot of room and need for forgiveness. Now that we're in Christ, now that we're, our lives are in Christ, we're secure, and our future is secure. When Christ appears, I'm going to appear. Because of that, I can freely, freely forgive. So let me ask you as I go to my seat. Who are you? I am a Christian. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for our identity in Christ. Lord, help us to know the fullness of this. May we surrender to it and embrace it so that your spirit can reveal to us what this really means in our everyday lives. Lord, we want our identity to be rooted grounded in you so that you can live out your life in us in this world. Lord, we belong to another culture, a superculture, the culture of the New Jerusalem, the culture that you started when you placed Adam and Eve here on this earth. You planned that the family of God would be what would define us. Lord, you've returned that to us in Christ. May we embrace it wholeheartedly. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, where we have difficulty today with this decision, Lord, we pray that you would give us grace so that we can embrace it. In Jesus' name, let all God's children say, amen. God bless you.